0: Welcome, friend, to the sermon podcast of Union Congregational Church. Union Congregational is a caring community, connected through God, loving and serving all along life's journey. At Union, we believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ is for everyone, that no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, God's grace is for you. So wherever this message finds you, I hope you will hear in it the living word and be blessed.
1: Our first scripture reading today comes from the book of Isaiah, and I'll be reading from chapter 58, verses 5 through 9. Is such the fast that I choose a day to humble oneself? Is it to bow down the head like a bulrush? and to lie in sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bounds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin? Then your light shall break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up quickly. Your vindicators shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your regard. Then you shall call and the Lord shall answer. You shall cry for help, and he will say, Here I am. May God add a blessing to the reading and hearing of this word.
0: This morning, I'm looking forward to sharing with you the first in a series of sermons that I am calling Re colon, Lent, which was the title of my pastor's message in this month's CIA. They are sermons that are for the Lenten season about the Lenten season regarding Lent, but they also are a continuation of this year-long series uh, that we have been uh, going through here at Union uh, called God's Story and Our Story. If you say it quickly, you'll hear the theme of a lot of the stories we'll hear over the next few weeks, relent. And I think that is good news to people who live in a seemingly relentless time, a time of relentless pandemic, of relentless economic and political turmoil, and now relentless war and the crises that come with it. For such a time as this, Psalm 90 gives us these words of prayer. Relent O Lord How long will it be? Have compassion upon your servants Amen Our second scripture reading comes from Luke's Gospel this morning in the 10th chapter and This is a familiar passage, but as you're listening today I would like to heat you to try to listen to it as it unfolds listen to it and take it moment by moment Let's let's hear God's story and our story here today. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He replied, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him and beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw the man, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near to him. And when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And then he put the man on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him there. And the next day he took out two denarii, two days wages, and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And when I return, I will repay you whatever else you spend. Now, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. May God add a blessing to the reading and hearing of this word as well. The 40-day Lenten fast usually begins with a reading of the story in which Jesus is driven into the wilderness to be tested for 40 days uh, to fend off the temptations of the devil in the wilderness. But this story, this morning's passage, may actually be just as fitting a place to begin because this expert in the Jewish law, this, this lawyer, begins this story by standing up to test Jesus. And this is a fine translation of that verb, but you could also translate it as, he stood up to tempt Jesus, or even to trap Jesus. The trap that this legal eagle was laying for Jesus was no doubt like the one that many other scribes and Pharisees would lay for him. They would pose a question to Jesus and attempt to pin him down on some bit of minutia in the teachings of Jewish law, To prove that he was a hypocrite or a blasphemer or that he didn't know what he was talking about so jesus is familiar with this play at this point and he initially at least plays along he tosses the question back to the legal expert and he says what must you do to inherit eternal life why don't you tell me what's written in the law what do you read there he doesn't take the bait and so The lawyer gives his answer, and Jesus says, That's correct. Just do that. But then, but then it says, Our legal eagle wants to justify himself to Jesus. In other words, he wants to prove himself righteous. The expert in the law asks this question that he means for Jesus to again answer in the terms of the law. He says, Rabbi, who according to the law is my neighbor? But Jesus realizes that the way that he has framed the question, his expectations for an answer, is not actually going to get him to the thing that he wants, because righteousness before God is not merely a question about what the law says. It's not about what you read there. What the lawyer is really seeking here, this righteousness of God that is his intended purpose in asking Jesus this question, it's not found in a book. Jesus shows us, is found out there. It's found on the road. It's found, as we like to say here, all along life's journey. Real life is where righteousness lives. And so instead of, again, answering a question about the law, Jesus reframes his question by telling this story to lead this legal expert towards the true meaning of righteousness that is found on the way. And so Jesus begins a parable that he sets on the road. And he chooses a very specific road. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho was 18 miles long. It's almost all downhill. Uh, The road descends nearly half a mile over the course of those 18 miles, which is a pretty steep descent. You start on the hilltop of Mount Zion in Jerusalem, where the temple and the Holy of Holies is, the center of the Jewish world, and you go down and down and down to Jericho. The road goes northeast into this absolutely arid part of the country. There is no shade. There is no cover. It crosses over rocky terrain, and as you get closer to Jericho itself, the road passes through what is now called the Wadi Kelt, the Valley of Darkness. Or as it's better known, the Valley of the Shadow of Death in Psalm 23. You didn't know that was a real place, did you? You can find it on a map. It was called that because in that part of the road, especially in this narrow ravine, robbers could hide in the cliffs and the crags and come out to attack travelers and then melt back into the desert. And to call this path a road is really quite generous. Um, The University of Notre Dame actually has this wonderful webpage where you can go and they have videos of what the road between Jerusalem and Jericho looks like. They have students walking down this road And again, to call it a road, I mean, in places it's only about three or four feet wide, winding along through the dirt on the side of steep cliff faces. That narrow downhill road through the valley, that's the road that Jesus chooses for his parable. But what of the main character in the parable, or at least the first character in the narrative? We always call this the parable of the Good Samaritan, but of course, The main character of the story is is the man at the beginning, the one going down the road. We don't really know anything about him except what context clues would tell us. He's coming from Jerusalem, so we can assume he was a Jew. Jesus' listeners probably would have assumed as much. And he was going down to Jericho, which in Jesus' time was actually kind of like a vacation spot for the wealthy and well-connected in Jerusalem. Jericho itself sits in an oasis in the middle of this hot and arid desert. And in fact, in the winter time, the notorious King Herod would go to Jericho and spend time in a villa there. That was where he, it's like the Palm Beach uh, of, of Jerusalem. right? It's the place that you go when you wanna get somewhere warm. So it's possible that the traveler in the story is some wealthy or well-connected man about town, But it's also possible that he was poor. You see, there are two other stories that take place in Jericho in Luke's gospel. One is about the tax collector Zacchaeus. He lives in Jericho. The other is about blind Bartimaeus, the beggar who cries out to Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Because Jericho is this place where the wealthy go to gather, it also attracted the poor and the disabled who would come and beg alms from all of these rich folks. We see the same phenomenon today in urban centers and financial districts where people experiencing homelessness will come uh, in search of charity. So perhaps, perhaps this traveler was not someone wealthy, perhaps it was a beggar. It's really hard to say one way or another, but... Tell me this. Do you think that a priest and a Levite would pass by some wealthy, well-connected person on the road? <laughs> Probably not. They didn't stop to help. But you've got to understand, this is the valley of the shadow of death we're talking about, right? The valley of the shadow of death. The name says it all, but imagine you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, and you come upon someone who has been stripped and beaten and left half dead. Proof positive that there are robbers and bandits in the area. What would you do in such a circumstance? I think not just walking away, but running away would be pretty understandable under those conditions. Then again... It's also the case that even if this was was some wealthy patron, perhaps the priest and the Levite would not have recognized them as such, having having been stripped and beaten to a pulp. We all know how hard it can be to recognize people when we see them out of context, or how sometimes we see people living their best life, and then a few months later we hardly recognize them after they have been dealt some fateful blow. So, So perhaps... So perhaps it was fear, or perhaps it was indifference, unknowing, whether it was a rich man beaten or a bruised beggar. In the end, both the priest and the Levite treat this passerby the same way, as someone not worthy of their attention. And wouldn't you expect such holy people to lend a hand? Well, the interesting thing is that according to the letter of the law, which is what our our legal eagle would have been listening for in this story, according to the letter of the law, priests and Levites are to remain pure in order to perform their duties as religious authorities. Uh, That means purity in their hearts, but also in their bodies and even their clothes, uh, which are the sacred tools of their trade, the long robes and starched collars that they would wear. Uh, This morning, Brady asked me uh, why I wear this collar. And I said, Well, some pastors wear it to show people that they're a pastor. And he said, Do all pastors wear it? I said, No, some don't. He said, What about that big chubby coat? (laughs) I said, You mean the robe? (laughs) Yeah, do all pastors wear that? No. Not all pastors wear the big chubby coat. But for the priest and the Levite, keeping their big chubby coats clean would have been ritually significant. It would have been their legal obligation to keep them free of dirt, but especially to keep them free of bodily fluids and especially human blood, which would, which would uh, desacralize them. So it may not just have been that they were in the valley of the shadow of death, this fearful place. It may not just have been sheer callousness on their part. They may have been trying to uphold their commandments right? Uh, avoid the ritual contamination of their garments with this man's blood. They were doing what was written in the law and surely the man who Jesus is telling this parable to would have had that thought cross his mind. But remember what I said about this path this is not some wide road that they could pass by on the other side probably only three or four feet across. In all likelihood, it wasn't that they passed by on the side of this man. They would have had to step over his body to keep going on their way. And that kind of callousness, that kind of indifference, that's just unconscionable. And even the legal eagle recognizes that in the end. Then comes the Good Samaritan and we all call him the Good Samaritan because indeed he is good in the story, but, but it doesn't say Good Samaritan in the story, it just says a Samaritan was traveling. And at that word Samaritan, the man that Jesus is speaking to and whatever crowd was gathered around him probably would have bristled at that word. The Samaritans were an ethnic group that lived in territory north of Jerusalem but south of Galilee. They were hated by most Jewish people in this time. And there's some scholarly debate about why this may be. It may be that the Samaritans are the descendants of the Assyrian invaders who came in and conquered the northern kingdom of Israel, this part of the territory, in 796 BCE. That that old wound was made alive in these descendants. Or, The Samaritans may be the descendants of the remnant of the folks who were conquered when the kingdom of Israel divided itself off from Judea. When the Assyrians invaded, many of the folks in the northern kingdom fled down into Judea, but there were some who stayed. uh, And if they remained behind, it's likely that they only would have survived because they capitulated to these invaders. And so that may have left a bit of a sour taste in the mouth of, of those uh, Judeans. So perhaps they were hated because they were descendants of invaders, or perhaps they were more like siblings who had been estranged, who, in spite of differences, still shared a history of connection. But it is it is quite clear that there is great animosity between these folks. Just a few verses earlier, uh, two of Jesus's disciples, James and John, uh, ask Jesus. If they can call down fire from heaven on a Samaritan village after the Samaritan village refuses to offer Jesus hospitality, the animosity goes both ways. It may, however, be that kind of animosity that is born of kinship and closeness, the kind of bother that only those who, who love us can really give us. And, of course, there is is a parallel in our present moment as war rages in Ukraine. As the war was breaking out, the patriarch of the Ukrainian Orthodox Church came out and, and made a statement. He likened this invasion, he said, to the story of Cain killing Abel in Genesis. He called it a fratricidal war, siblings taking up arms and killing siblings out of vanity. It's amazing how those mythic stories in Genesis can tell us so much about our humanity at times. It's the same sort of fratricidal animosity, perhaps, that is going on between the Jews and the Samaritans. And so, perhaps the default for the Samaritan is to think of them as as bad, but of course this is the parable of the Good Samaritan because this traveler, is clearly not bound by those old hatreds. He would likely have been coming up from Jericho since Samaria is to the north and Jericho is to the north of Jerusalem. So if he was on that road, he was probably headed to Jerusalem. And why he would have been going to Jerusalem is hard to say. But either way, whatever business he had, he was not too busy to stop and help. Even though, again, we are in the valley of the shadow of death. Right there, he kneels down in the road, bandages the man's wounds, pours oil and wine upon them. And then he puts him on the camel or the horse or the donkey or whatever he has been riding. And he walks his patient up, up this steep incline to an inn that sits about halfway between Jerusalem and Jericho. What is it that was different about this traveler? At first blush, it's that he is a Samaritan, but that's not the difference that makes a difference here. What's most significant, when we hear Jesus say it, when he saw the man, he felt compassion, he felt pity for the man. He was merciful, he relented, In Luke's Gospel, there are only three places where a person is described as having compassion for someone. There's this parable, the parable of the prodigal son, which we'll hear later on, and the story of Jesus raising a man from the dead in the town of Nain. Now one biblical commentary points out that showing compassion in the Lucan narrative is a sign of divine prerogative and divine action. The commentary goes on to say here is our first clue in the text of Luke itself that this good Samaritan when he shows compassion on the man in the ditch is functioning figuratively as God's agent. That's the first clue that that he has compassion. The second comes in the legal expert's answer when he says that the true neighbor is the one who is merciful. Again, that term mercy in Luke's gospel is almost exclusively associated with Jesus. Remember the words of blind Bartimaeus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he did. He healed blind Bartimaeus, so now he's just Bartimaeus. Jesus shows mercy and the good Samaritan shows mercy. And so the challenge of this parable is always not just to ask as Jesus does the theoretical question, who among these three was a neighbor to the man, but instead the more practical question, who am I in this story? Which of these travelers on that same road am I? And the difference that makes a difference between them, the difference that makes a difference between the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan is not who they are, but whose they are, how they are traveling down this road. The holy people that you would expect to be righteous in this story don't turn out to be that. Instead, they are just holy vessels, devoid of that spirit of compassion that we heard in the prophet Isaiah is the true mark of devotion. And then the person that you would least expect, the enemy, the outsider, they're the one in whom Christ is at work. They're the one who is empowered to do good because to them the righteousness of God does not live in laws or in books. It lives in that moment when they see someone in need and they have compassion for them. In other words, they are empowered with that spirit that lives in Christ. This parable, this story, is a story about the way God loves us in Christ. God loves us like the Samaritan loves their neighbor. And it is also a story about the power that comes with that love. When, as we heard last week in Paul's letter, we pray that Christ may strengthen us in our inner being with power through his spirit. It is a prayer that I continue to pray in this Lenten fast that that we may be strengthened in our inner being with the power of Christ through oneness with his spirit. That is in the end what the Lenten fast is really about, oneness with Christ. Because in the end, the fast that God desires is not the one that descends into public self-flagellation, sackcloth and ashes, all these signs of mourning and fasting. Really, those are just about making our inner pain visible to others. But Lent is not about pain. It's about the promise of Christ. It's about the power of Christ living in us so that we may be one in Christ. And so we begin Lent by emptying ourselves so that Christ may fill us with that good Samaritan power. So that we can start to recognize our connection to other people even those who seem far from us or at odds with us because of who they are. It's that good Samaritan power that keeps us free of fear in the valley of the shadow of death. It is that good Samaritan power that primes us to reach out to those who are bloodied and bruised, whether in body or in spirit, and laid out on the side of the road that we all walk in this life that good Samaritan power sees beyond our divisions. It lets us say to a friend or to a fellow church member or to a family member or even a stranger, look, I care for you. I'm here to help. I am here because Christ has called me to be in your life, to be part of your salvation and to be a part of the very salvation of the world. And that seems like a lot seems like a lot to call people to, the salvation of the world. Well, that's because it is. It's certainly too much to expect of any one person. The Good Samaritan stands out as a parable because of its its incredible audacity. It seems almost superhuman, and yet that's because it is. Because the salvation of those who are far from us, the salvation of this world, is not for us to accomplish, but for God. It's too much for us, but it is not too much for God or for Christ. And when we tap into that power, through prayer and fasting, through compassion and mercy, the Spirit of Christ can empower us to do incredible things beyond what we could ask or imagine. It's that power that enables us to be unafraid in moments of darkness, that gives us the confidence to be able to sacrifice what we have like the Good Samaritan does for those who have less. It is the power of Christ that ultimately lifts the wounded and carries them on that climb up the hill towards Jerusalem. And so, friends, in this Lenten season, keep climbing towards Jerusalem. Keep climbing towards God. Keep climbing towards that vision of Christ's for which we pray week in and week out that God's kingdom will come, God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. You've been listening to the sermon podcast of Union Congregational Church in East Walpole, Massachusetts. If you're in the area, we would love to welcome you in person for worship on Sundays at 10, 15 a.m. in our sanctuary on Rhodes Avenue next to Bird Park. You can also join us virtually online via live stream at facebook.com slash churchbythepark. For more information about our church or to make a donation in support of our ministries, please visit our website, churchbythepark.org. Now may the grace and peace of Jesus Christ be and abide with you.